Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. I hope you'll open your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 15. The book of Acts in chapter 15. The book of Acts in chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible today, no problem. Uh, we would love for you to, uh, but there should be a Bible in the row there in front of you where you can find it. Acts chapter 15, we've been studying through the story of the early church week by week. And the title of the message today is, when to be flexible and when to be firm. When to be flexible and when to be firm. This is such a challenging thing to know how to operate in as a parent. It is such a challenging thing to live into as a sibling or a spouse or a boss or a person living in this world is when to be flexible, when to be firm. Here's what I mean. Uh, about a year ago, we had just gotten started here at the church in Palatine, and we were trying to make inroads in the community in any way that we could. And I had an old friend who was happened to be a Palatine police officer, and I told him, you know that thing when you're trying to kind of get in, I said to him, hey man, anything you need, anything you need, any way our church can serve, any way our church can pitch in or any way our church can help, just here's my phone number, call me. And uh, I was at home uh, on a day kind of like today, about a year ago, and I looked down at my phone, and it was this police officer, and he texted me and said, hey, I need a favor. Now, the fact that I was raking leaves at the time probably contributed to the fact that I was immediately like, yes, great, what can I do? <laughs> Get me out of my chore, you know. But he said, uh, hey, you know, uh, there's this woman, and I just pulled her over, and uh, she didn't have the right uh, documentation in the car with her. And so I have no choice, but I had to bring her into the police station. And she couldn't, she couldn't produce uh, what I needed from her. And so I have to, she can't make bail. She doesn't have the money to make bail. So I have to keep her overnight. And because it's Saturday, I'll have to keep her all the way until Monday. But, but he said, uh, those are the rules. Those are the rules of our police department. I have no choice. This is what I have to do. But honestly, Pastor, this lady shouldn't be in jail overnight. And so is there any way that you could come and like help her post the bail? Because if you do, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. She's going to get the right stuff. She's going to go to the courthouse on Monday, and then someone's going to write you a check for exactly what you gave. I just, she's got a kid at home. I don't think she should be here for two full days was his idea. And so I said, okay, sure. And it happened just like it happened, just like he said it would happen. It cost me nothing. She was able to not spend a night in jail away from her family. And this officer was using keen insight to know when to be flexible and when to be firm. So I have to follow the rules. But these aren't really rules that exactly should. The spirit, the law. That's kind of some of what is in the text that we have today. This is Acts chapter 15. And let me just read to you the first part, and then uh, I think you're going to find something useful in the message today. Starting in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in 
detailed the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Okay, so the church, we've been learning about this week by week if you've been with us, and if you're just joining, no problem. We can catch you up right now. As the church was expanding, uh, first, it was primarily and almost completely ethnically Jewish. Those were the people who had been raised, and they were looking for a Messiah, and some people saw in Jesus correctly the Messiah they were looking for. But God's mission is never just one certain kind of person. It's all of his people. And so the Gentiles started to be added in along the way. And what was happening was they were starting to join together at church and join together in fellowship and join together in relationship. And some of those Jewish people were like, hey, wait, wait, wait. It's cool that you're fired up about Jesus and everything, but if you're going to be like in the crew, you got to follow the rules. And having some knowledge, I'm sure, and I won't go all that direction too much this morning, but having some knowledge of what the word circumcision means, I think you can imagine why the Gentiles were like, is there like another path? <laughs> To like get into the church other than adult onset circumcision, which I think is understandable. I think I can, Kim, you know, I think I can get with why they weren't really fired up about that. And so there's this kind of, there's a tension, there's a disagreement, there's a fight, there's a, we got to figure this out between two factions of the church. And it isn't God's design for his people to fight with each other. But there's no people that love a fight like church people. Can I get an amen in the house? Anyone ever been, there's nobody that likes a fight like church people. It's because culture changes, but people don't. So in every culture, you see the same thing break out. In every culture, there is a push to create an in-group and an out-group. In every culture, there's a push to say, these are the good ones. I'm hearing just a little bit of ring and Ryan. If you could help me with that, buddy. Sorry if I'm holding the microphone too low. In every culture, there's a push to create an in-group and an out-group. There's the, these are the good people. These are the not as good people. These are the righteous ones. These are the not as righteous ones. These are the, you know what I'm talking about. And so here they're getting together all the people and they're saying, you know, we need to figure out how we can all be in relationship together. And this is a very important part in history. I made a little chart that I want to show you that helps illustrate where we are in human history. That if you go all the way back, and I talked about this a moment ago, all the way back to the book of Genesis, God's design was for all people to worship him. And when all people worshiped God, then God said, uh, all people rejected God. God said, kind of started over after Noah and said, you know what, I'll just take Abraham and we'll make a whole nation. And the Jewish people who are special and beloved in God's eyes rose up as God's chosen people. Just as an aside, you'll notice all through human history, you will find irrational hatred breaking out towards Jewish people. And it's because Satan hates God's chosen people. And Christians should never partake in that. Even the Jewish people around us, you may meet, who don't believe in the same Messiah that we believe in should not be targets of our disrespect or unkindness. And you see it all over in culture, and it rises and falls. And so then, after Jesus comes, God, decide, God decides to put the whole church back together worldwide again. And right here in Acts 15, where we are today, is this hinge point where now God is trying to reveal himself again to all people like he is right now. And this fight breaks out, this dissension about what are we going to require of people culturally who want to join God's family. 
Let me just keep on reading now, starting in verse 7. And after there had been much debate, uh, Peter stood up. You know, Peter, it's always his turn to talk, right? And he said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made, see it, no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, no, I'll talk, I'll read that verse in a second. So what's he saying? Peter is saying, now listen, if the law, if trying really hard to follow the rules could save us, we would have followed the rules well and it would have saved us. That's the message of the whole Old Testament is that people cannot follow God's law no matter how hard they try, which is why they desperately need a Savior. And so the guy's saying, Peter's saying, like, wait a second. We're going to make them follow the system that we couldn't even follow? We're going to make them do the thing that we couldn't even do? You can see it doesn't make sense. There's only one way to God, and that is the kind forgiveness that Jesus offers. He says, now, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, verse 11, just as they will. Again, it seems like this is a theme in Acts. There is only one way to get to God, no matter where you were born, no matter how much money your parents had, no matter how educated you are, no matter what good or bad things, no matter what trauma you've been through, no matter what difficult things have come your way, there is only one way to get to God, and it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Peter's point is, if there's only one way, we should like be cool with all the people that are on that one way. It says that all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. They're telling the story. And after they finished, now James replied. Uh, this is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, who we saw a few weeks ago appears to be the leader of this church in Jerusalem. James replied, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon has related how God has first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people from his name. And with his words, the prophets agree. I'll skip a few verses. But James starts to explain why he believes that Peter is correct. Starting in verse 19 now, he says, Therefore, uh, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So he says, okay, when to be flexible, when to be firm, when to be flexible, when to be firm. So what James says and Peter and what the whole church is going to agree to is here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to accept everybody into the same church and we're not going to ask the Gentiles to follow the law of Moses. Well, the ritual part of the law of Moses. We still have to follow God's commands, but the ritual stuff, he's drawing a distinction here, and the distinction is between moral standards and ritual expectations. And a lot of us uh, 
have been raised with a lot of both of these, both in the church and in our home. And sometimes they can become so tightly wound that it's hard to pull things apart. So what's a moral standard? A moral standard is God's law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is a moral standard. God's moral standards always apply and should always be followed. Why? Because when we don't follow God's standards, we hurt ourselves and we hurt people around us. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that's, that's ritual expectation type stuff. You may have been raised in a church where everybody wore suits. You may have been raised in a church where everybody sang hymns. You may have been raised in a church where they sat in pews. Now you found yourself in one again, at least for a little while longer, until we can't fit anymore on those comfortable pews. And the next service, too many people nod off. So I think we got to get rid of the pews are a little too comfortable. It's causing a problem. You may have been raised... You may have been raised in a family that had all kinds of ritual expectations. Maybe you were raised in a family that ate dinner in front of the television, and then you got married to someone who ate dinner at the nice dining table in the dining room, and now we're all in a fuss and a fight. Because of moral standards? No, because of ritual expectations. And so what James says is, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all the ritual stuff off the table to help these people get to God. We're just going to leave a few things here, and here's the list that he gives. We're going to ask them not to eat meat that was offered to idols. We're going to ask them not to participate in sexual immorality, to eat food that has been strangled, or anything that has blood in it. Why does he give this list in this way? This is slightly complicated, but pretty easy once you grab at it. On that list, number one, number three, and number four are all versions of the same thing, and they are accommodations that the Gentiles are being asked to make to the way that... uh, the Jewish people eat their food. I think there's like a really good vegan joke right here. I can't, I don't know what it is, but there's something about right there. There is one. It's why? Because to the Jewish people, they lived under the sacrificial system, right? If you know anything about the Bible. So the way that their sin was taken care of is a perfect spotless lamb was placed on an altar. And they were like, we would never eat the meat of the animal that was offered to God. We would never eat an animal that was strangled or still had the blood inside it. Why? Because blood to them was sacred because it was for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there was a real, permanent, perfect, spotless lamb. His name is Jesus, and when he was killed, that system went away. But some of the remnants of it still stayed around for a generation or two. And so he says, you know what? It's going to really help us as we get together as a group. If you guys could just avoid any of that stuff that has to do with eating that way because it's going to make it easier for us to be in relationship. And number two, sexual immorality, which is any sexuality outside of marriage, that's a moral standard. But the reason why it's put on this list is in this culture and time, there were these big festivals and big parties that contained a lot of eating and drinking and all the stuff that comes when there's way too much eating and drinking. And what he's really getting at there in that second one is if we're all going to be in a family together let's stay away from all the places where all that kind of stuff that inevitably leads to sexual immorality happens because it's going to make it a lot easier for all of us to get together if we don't go those kinds of places that's what we're going to ask you Gentiles to do to be part of the family that's the standard that was raised all of these ritual expectations made social relationships easier to navigate In fact, all four things on that list that I just showed you can also be found in Leviticus 17 and 18 that were requirements for people who were trying to come in and join the Jewish nation during the Old Testament. 
We're getting to something I think is going to be really useful for your life here in the 2020. So stick with me. Verse 22. So you know what? Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And so they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brothers with the following letter. So they want to like kind of get everybody on the same page. They write a letter and they send it. And the letter says... Now the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Celia, greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who've risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will have done well. They're showing when to be flexible and when to be firm. When to be flexible and when to be firm. They're like, okay, you don't need to follow all those rules, but it's going to make it easier if you'll follow these. And I wonder, dear friends, as we're living in the 2020s, which is a challenging and confusing time to live, anybody feeling that, feeling that, feeling that? I was talking to someone in the church here on the way in, and I just said something like, if you could look at the trees on this block and not believe that there's a God who created it, I don't even like know what the next thing is that I could say to you. It's a confusing time, but I wonder, what ritual expectations do we put on people who are trying to follow God? Because what we want to do in a world that has so little space for authority is we want to try to make the list of things that are choices and preferences as small as possible. And we want to put all of our weight and our energy on the, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And what makes this so challenging is our culture is in much more danger of no standard than of having too high of one. This would have been a great message to preach pretty much any generation in the history of the world before right now. Because the church has been notorious for generations past of if you got pregnant at the wrong time, you're not welcome here. And if you're, not, if you're wearing the wrong, if your dress is a little too high on the thigh, you are not welcome here. Go home, you hussy, and clean up before you come back to church. That's a good word? Good? Yeah? That was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Nobody born after 1980 has ever used that word until right then. The church has been notorious for raising the standard too high for generations. The problem of today is that there is now almost no standard of any kind at all. So to fit in this church and this community, I think it's important. Because here, you can see all through this text, if you studied it closely, the following of God's moral standard or the Ten Commandments is assumed. Of course, we will always follow God's rules. We're trying to figure out how to live together in the gray areas. And so it's helpful sometimes, every once in a while, to define, to fit in with us here at Good News in the neighborhood. Uh, these are our moral standards. One... You have to believe that faith in Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you don't believe that, keep coming every Sunday as long as you want. But you're not going to feel comfortable in this space if you're foggy on that question. Because I'm not even wondering about it. And it grieves me to know how many people I really like don't know Jesus yet. Anyone ever have that feeling? But it's not loving to be foggy on that question. 
Two, we have to believe in the authority of the Bible. Come here, Lance, come on, bud. We have to believe in the authority of the Bible because, here's why. Come on, come on, come on. Here's why you have to believe in the authority of the Bible. I know, I know, you look great. You're walking so slow. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Here's why you have to believe in the authority of, uh, here's why you have to believe in the authority of the Bible. Because it is really, really hard to have meaningful conversation or challenge another friend about an issue if we don't agree about the authority of the Bible. Here's why. If Lance and I are having a conversation about something that he's dealing with and he says, I think I should be able to A, and I say, you know what, Lance, I think A is a bad idea. And you say, you know what, I think I should be able to do A. And I say, well, I think A is a bad idea. If all we have is our opinions and it's just subjective, we can never solve that problem. We can never get to the bottom of it. It's just, I'm sincere, you're sincere, you're a good guy, I'm a good guy, everyone do whatever you want. But if we can point to the Bible in between us as the standard, then we can work hard and lovingly together to say, well, if the Bible says that you should be able to do a lance, then you're right and I'm wrong. And if it doesn't, then do you see the difference? And so there's places all over the place in the world and in the church today. Good job, buddy. You did good. There is, there's space all over the world in the church today that doesn't believe in the authority of the Bible anymore. And if you don't believe in the authority of the Bible, it's impossible to have meaningful interaction back and forth. The third thing to fit in here, uh, you have to accept the historic biblical ethic on gender and sexuality. And that doesn't always make everybody comfortable. Uh, earlier this summer, I was right out there on the front lawn, and there was a woman after the church service who put her finger, and she, like, hit me right there. You know, like, that spot where, like, your ribs come together, your sternum or whatever? She just poked me, like, right there about three times in a row, outraged that I had said something in a sermon that gave her the impression that the biblical teaching on, historic teaching on gender and sexuality, that I believed in it, she was outraged. And I tried to be like as nice as possible, but I just said to her, honestly, like if that's, if you're not there, you won't fit here. Why does that one make the list? That one makes the list because this is the only thing our culture cares about anymore. The culture's pretty much good on pretty much everything else, but our culture wants to say that God's standards about gender and sexuality are wrong, are oppressive, will not lead to your best life. And I have seen so many people hurt themselves, run into the end of the, that highway and find that they're not going to find what they're looking for. People are more than their gender and their sexuality. That's one amazing part of you, but it is not the only part of you. And God loves you right the way that you are, whatever challenges or difficulties or uncertainties. Now, nah. That doesn't mean that we try to blow people up who think differently than us, and it certainly doesn't mean we blow people who don't, who blow people up who don't believe in Jesus already about it. If people don't believe in Jesus, we don't need to try to like jam this part on them. But if you're foggy on that part, you're not gonna like, you're just not gonna fit in the vibe here because we're not soft on that part. We believe that everything the Bible teaches is perfect and true, and we should try to live it out, and we should try to live it out with love. Okay, enough on that. So then we go to the other side. That was where to be firm. Here's where to be flexible. So I could do, uh, we're almost done now, but we could do an easy list of like stuff just for fun, but that's not the real stuff. So like, you can, you can put the whole list up. You can find people that are like really fired up about how like if you read Harry Potter, <laughs> you're probably going to hell. Uh, I've never read Harry Potter, could care less, but I don't think that reading a book about a wizard makes it you want to be a witch. That's my experience with it. Right. So, 
uh, if we didn't believe that you could practice, like be into yoga and still be a Christian, we wouldn't have a church. So that's been really important. We have a lot of, but there's, there's also, there's like a little thing there, right? We don't want to empty our minds and just think our own thoughts. We want to empty our minds and fill them with God's thoughts, of course. There's places that you could go and historically places you could go where like if you got divorced before you knew Jesus, then you're like permanently bad forever. And There's places you can go where they're like if you vote to the right or if you vote to the left, then there's no way you could be a Christian. Only people that vote like us have the real truth. Isn't it funny now to think that it used to be like a big deal for people to have tattoos or piercings? I mean, now it's like almost weird if you meet somebody who's just, what, you're just like standing there, nothing? <laughs> that used to be, anybody ever remember when that was a big deal? Oh, we, we have a girl on the worship team, and you can see that she has a tattoo on her ankle? What? <laughs> Call a special meeting. But that's not the world we're living in anymore. We're living in a world that has some really, really complicated things in it. And I want to tell you a story, and I want to show you a list, and then I want to get to the end, because we want to be right in when we're flexible, and we want to be right in when we're firm. And I believe really strongly you can see it here in Acts 15, that the clearer our moral standards, the easier we should be able to find it to be flexible about our ritual ones. When we have crystal clarity about the important stuff, it's a lot easier to be flexible about the rest. Uh, so I remember some years ago when I was a youth pastor, uh, really sad word came in one day that there was a guy who was the stepdad of some kids in my youth group and he had been accused, accused of uh, like molesting them. And this stepdad ended up being convicted and going to jail and getting out of jail. And after he got out of jail, he asked, is it okay if I come back to church? And by this time, uh, the people in his family that were involved were no longer part of the church. But that's a difficult question to navigate because your first instinct should be as a Christian, it doesn't matter what someone has done, God still wants to love them and know them. But it's also really important that our church is an incredibly safe place that when you drop your kids off, you know that they're being taken care of. And so it's such a complicated question. And so where we managed to get to at that time, this was years ago, was uh, this man was allowed to come to the same service every Sunday, and there was someone that would meet him in the parking lot as part of his like parole and all the rules. And there was someone that would meet him in the parking lot and walk in and sit with him and hang with him during church, and then he was back out to his car, and he was able to be part of a group, and it was this like really difficult navigating of a complex situation. And God has trusted every person who can hear my voice right now, has trusted us to live in a time and a generation that is so complicated to know how to navigate. And for some of us, anyone, if to me, sometimes feels like he cursed us by living in this difficult, complicated generation. <laughs> But he didn't. He chose every single one of us to be here in this time. And so what are we going to do, friends, in the church? What are we going to do in the church? When people show up and they say, I'm same-sex attracted, but I'm choosing to live celibate. What are we going to do when people show up at church who have changed their gender and also have faith in Jesus Christ and aren't even sure about how they feel about what they did? What are we going to do about people who are like, as far from biblically divorced could be. What are we going to do when people show up at church? And yeah, I mean, I did. I ran off with the secretary. I'm now I'm here. Am I allowed to be part of the church? What are we going to do when you meet someone at church and you really like them and then you become like their friend on Facebook or whatever and then you see the stuff they post about politics and it makes you like so sick to your stomach. You're like, I'm not sure I ever want to talk to that person again. Do we have to go to the same church? Anybody ever had that? 
I could point at a few people. I won't do it, though. I... I was talking to Bobby, one of my friends here before the service, and he was telling me a story about how he had someone in a previous church he worked in who uh, was converted uh, to faith in Jesus from being a Muslim. And their question was, is it still okay if I wear the garb that I wore when I was growing up, even though I have faith in Jesus now? And do I have to tell all of my extended family about what I've chosen? And we need to know this is not coming to an end where I give you all the easy answers that you can just kind of chew on and be done with because these are complicated questions that have so much to do with context. And what do we want? So what do we see here? We see that the church expands and God is honored when his people know when to be flexible and when to be firm. When his people know how to walk out into the world with wisdom. You can't miss it. I didn't teach it this way today, but you can't miss it in the text. That the decisions that were made here were made in community with lots of people speaking in with wisdom. Making sure that the Holy Spirit was along. They made sure that they were thinking clearly before the decisions that they made. Why does this matter? The reason that this matters so much is that most people don't trip over Jesus Most people around us trip over the way that we live with our faith in Jesus. Like, I'm just being honest. If it wasn't for the people who, the Christians, Jesus Christ would probably have a lot bigger market share. He's always amazing. Sometimes it's his people that really bum people around around us. Can I get a witness anywhere around the room? And so what we want to do is we want to believe the Bible well and true. And we don't want to be afraid of the truth, even when the truth is unpopular. We want to hold it with love, and we want to know for our kids, for our friends, for the people around us, we want to learn and know when to be flexible and when to be firm. That's the message today. I want to just pray for you now. Would you bow your head? Lord, I, uh, if I'm being honest, Lord, even as I'm praying now, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by how many potholes there are in what we've just talked about. And I'm just asking, Lord, that um, our study of this text today has honored you. And that we, Lord, I want to pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to continue to overflow us with the truth. We don't need to believe in the easy thing or the popular thing or the thing that's going to get us the most likes or the most friends. Lord, we want to honor you. We're trusting you that you will help us, give us clarity and faith on how to honor you well. And Lord, that's what we're asking that you would help us do. I'm praying it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.